Friends, 60 years ago today, the world lost two important and influential Jacks. First, of course, John F. Kennedy was assassinated on this day 60 years ago. But also on this day 60 years ago, Jack Lewis succumbed to his illness and went further up and further in into the new Narnia. In exactly a week from today, on November 29th, 2023, many Lewis podcasters, organizers, and websites and societies will be getting together in a concerted effort to celebrate what would have been Lewis's 125th birthday with the first ever C.S. Lewis Reading Day. If you want more information on all the activities going on, go to pintswithjack.com slash reading day. We encourage you to celebrate along with us. Pints with Jack will be hosting a live panel on that day. We'll be putting an episode out on our channel with our previous guest, Dr. Jerry Root, talking about why reading Lewis is important and the impact that Lewis can have on life. We encourage you to celebrate with us by telling other people to read C.S. Lewis by posting um, quotes or your favorite Lewis work to your social media or however you want to do that. Feel free to tag our Facebook or Instagram accounts in that. If you do, we'll reach out to you and send you a small gift. The important thing is to do what this podcast aims to do, which is to get more people reading C.S. Lewis. Now, for today's episode, this is part two of a conversation we had with Charlie Starr about the short story that Lewis wrote called Light, or sometimes it's found as The Man Born Blind. Again, this short story has a twist ending, which will be spoiled in this episode, so if you haven't read it already, find a link in the description where you can find to read it or listen to it. It's a very short, maybe 11 minutes, but in today's episode, we'll be talking about how the story has larger implications for thinking about thinking and helps us think about how it is we come to know things and what forms of knowledge are valuable. Why is this important? Well, Charlie will let us know. God is capital T thought. God is capital T truth. God is capital K knowledge. Uh, Christ is the cosmic logos. He is word. He is knowledge. Um, and the more of this we can have, um, the closer we can we can draw to him. Teachers, educators, even preachers can benefit uh, in terms of thinking about epistemology. For example, in terms of understanding that imagination really does have a benefit. And if we teach to the imagination more, we can maybe reach people better. Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser known works. I'm Sean. And I'm Jordan. Join us for season three on metaphor and myth, where Lewis's writings on language, imagination, and storytelling will help us come to see, know, and taste reality more deeply. You say that, uh, again, that this is a story about epistemology. I'm going to quote from your book here. This is a story about epistemology, and you say that light is an introduction to a theme in Lewis's thinking and knowledge and truth, which has gone largely unnoticed, a theme which matters to us on the most practical levels and in our most spiritual insights. Besides reason and imagination, knowledge also comes from experience, and sometimes it's the most critical knowledge we can have. Um, so again, um, there's, there's a few different questions, maybe different trails that we want to go down based on that quote and, and what you've already said. 
this evening, Charlie. But one of the things that you mentioned is is that if you try to see um, with the organ that you're trying to see the organ, which gives you the ability to see, or you're trying to see by the means by which you see. The other thing is not only, you know, the possibility of dropping off into the fog um, or, you know, descending into madness, I guess is maybe what that might be, but is, is just that you actually bar yourself from experience in general. You are, you are trapped in this almost uh, it, it, like, again, the, the picture that would come to mind is somebody fretting about being able to to get out into the world because they're stuck on the first square of the game and there's a hundred squares for them to advance through, so to speak. So um, we're talking a lot about knowledge, but I, I do want to get into how this actually impacts our experience of the world as we go on, as we go on. Um, is Lewis suggesting here that there is a fear that we become too inwardly focused and therefore maybe trap ourselves um, from really experiencing and or thinking and or knowing the things that we ought to know. I, I think what Lewis is, um, if we want to say, if we want to ask what was Lewis's project as a writer, uh, in terms of knowledge, his project was to explain to us that there are more kinds of knowing than what we were taught. Uh, we were taught that the only kind of knowledge that matters is fact um, and the accumulation of factoids, of, of factual information, that reason is the only kind of legitimate knowledge. And even reason got narrowed to only science being the only kind of legitimate knowledge, um, uh, which is even a further narrowing of, 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 of reason, because then you can only reason about things that are um, physical, um, things that can be observed. And Lewis is saying, no, there are other kinds of knowledge, and these kinds of knowledge are legitimate. The kind of knowledge that dominated in the 20th century was the looking at kind, um, which is a very valuable kind of knowledge. But the looking along kind, uh, again, post-enlightenment was kind of lost to us, as well as was the imaginative kind of knowing. Um which is um, like looking along is experiential. And so Lewis wants to say human knowledge is far more complex than what we've been taught for the longest time. Let me ask you guys a question as an example of what I'm talking about. When you were in, you know, grade school, middle school, high school, um, did you have any teachers try to teach you the difference between fact and opinion? Yep, I think so. That yeah. was something you ran into? Yeah. Yeah, I can remember teachers talking about that. And then I can also remember when I was a high school teacher talking, you know, being told about the importance of teaching the difference between fact and opinion. Um, and to to reduce all knowledge to either facts or opinions uh, is a huge mistake. So I actually spoke up, but I got dismissed by, <laughs> by what the teacher had to say. But, um, but you know, the... the the simple way to point out this problem of only looking at fact versus opinion is to ask a couple of questions. Uh, question one, do you believe Paris, France exists? Yes. Fact or opinion? Well, that's a fact. Does God exist? Fact or opinion? Uh, 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 well, it's an existence question, right? Either he does or doesn't. 
and uh, and so you see the bias toward a uh, materialistic view of epistemology of knowledge right. or knowledge theory um so yeah um if there are any teachers um uh, listening in on this podcast do not teach your students the difference between fact and opinion it's a false dichotomy <laughs> drop it from your curriculum instead talk to them about the difference between fact and truth um, but that would be a whole other discussion for us. <laughs> wow. Uh, so we're now deep into epistemology here, which is um, is a good definition for it, just uh, talking about knowledge and how we come to know things. Yeah, I'd say it's uh, epistemology is, is the theory of or study of how we know. Okay. How, how do human beings gather information? How do we know and how do we know that we know? which is to say, so not only how do we know things, but how do we know them accurately? Okay, great. That's, that's a good running different definition of epistemology. And so would Lewis then say that there's, um, well, maybe this is too narrow, but there's, there's at least two or three ways of knowing there's, um, thinking about the contemplation and then there's, uh, or that's the looking at the beam. And then there's looking along, which is experiencing or enjoyment yeah. or is, yeah. is, um, yeah. And then is imagination a third thing? Yeah. And it's, um, that's a good way to think about it, except it's a little too simple. Sure. So again, for starters in Lewis's thought in Lewis's mind, usually, um, and again, he's not consistent on it, at least not in the way you read him. Yeah. Um, no, not as you read him. Um, every act of knowing, contains both an enjoyment and contemplation. Thus, when I'm looking at, when I'm thinking about something, that is also an experience. It's the experience of thinking about. Uh, so that's the first complication. I wish he had made this simpler for us. All right. Um, and then um, how exactly does imagination connect to knowledge is um more complex too in his epistemology, especially when you ask the big question, what is the relationship between imagination and truth? Um, because imagination seems to be truth neutral at times in Lewis's thinking. Um, Blusbles being a, you know, a very good example of, of how that's the case. Uh, truth is the meaning making faculty without, I'm sorry, not truth. Imagination is the meaning making faculty. Without imagination, I can't put any meanings together whatsoever. But the meanings I put together then may be true, but they may be false. If I say, um, if I say Peter Jackson wrote the Lord of the Rings, that is false. He wrote the movies, but it still meant something. You know who Peter Jackson is. You know what kind of truth claim that I was making. It was just a false claim, but the meaning was perfectly clear to you. Um, in, in imagination for Lewis, um, truth is not the opposite of meaning. Falsehood is not the opposite of meaning. The opposite of meaning is simply nonsense. Huh. Um, so, um, if I were to speak a nonsense language or if I were to put words together that made no sense, uh, whatsoever, um, then, uh, meaning is not occurring. Um, and, and so I guess that's why there are certain, still certain ancient languages that appear on um, tablets um, 
in archaeological digs that people can't make heads or tails of. Um, it, it had meaning to those who used those letters, but it doesn't have any meaning to us. Uh, nonsense is occurring. But with truth, then, um, uh, truth does have, so so reason, he said, is the organ of truth, and truth does have an opposite, and the opposite of truth is falsehood. Uh, but the opposite of meaning is non-meaning or nonsense. Um, at the same time, though, as imagination may not always be a truth-bearing faculty or may not even be a truth-bearing faculty at all, which Lewis seems to say in Blusbles, there are other times where he at least hints that truth nevertheless connects us to right knowledge, to real knowledge. Um, our imagination does, if I said truth again. Um, imagination does connect us to real knowledge, uh, even if it's not true. Um, and then what kind of truth are we talking about? Well, you know, what is literal versus symbolic versus metaphorical? And are all those things true? So it's a very complicated system. Now, going back then to your original question, I think it's at least fair to start with the idea that we learn from experience, or at least we're capable of learning from experience, though it doesn't always happen. Um, we learn from reason, and we can access truth through reason. And then we can learn from imagination. And if we can't always access truth, we can access the real, um, although that's not always the case. Uh, so that's at least a good starting place for understanding Lewis's epistemology. Yeah, that's getting, that's getting clearer, I think. The more we talk about it, I can see reality, I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 So coming back to the light story then, uh, how, how does this story say something about the different ways of knowing, about thinking about, experiencing, uh, maybe imagination? Right. Well, um, I, I think it may, first of all, be talking about um, Platonic essences, and here we're looking at maybe some later possible interpretations of light um, that, uh, well, it just begins with the idea that there might be higher realities. Uh, the light that Robin is looking for is um, capital L, if you will. Um, it's something more uh, than just, um, uh, you know, photons and, and uh, particles and waves for Robin. It's something poetically significant, and he seems to be the only one who understands it. And, of course, that's a typical literary device. The blind man is the one who can see, right? Um, you think of the uh, prophet Tiresias and all uh, a, a recurring character in all the great Greek tragedies, um, like uh, Oedipus. Uh, Tiresias is the guy who can see everything. Oedipus, the guy who, Tiresias, the blind man, can see. Oedipus, the guy with sight will end up gouging his eyes out once he sees the truth. Uh, so I think that's one thing that light could be talking about. Another thing, again, kinds of knowing. Um, clearly, Lewis is saying that you can look at or you can look along. Uh, the results are going to be different uh, in the two kinds of knowing. Um, and then um, that could potentially... Uh, lead to problems, or maybe in some of the later interpretation options, to um, discovering that that transcendent other. Um, 
the importance of experience. It's not enough to know about light. Uh, Robin wants to see light. He wants to drink light. He wants to swim in it. He wants to bathe his eyes in it. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. So there's some potential um, connections between light and, um, and the nature of knowing. You mentioned in there in the book also that, um, and this is a bit of a pop quiz for you. You said that uh, you've already forgotten what you wrote in the book because it's been 10 years or so, but you wrote something about uh, that mythic thinking might be the reason for Robin's fall. What would mythic thinking mean? Because uh, we're about to turn to Lewis's essays on on myth specifically coming up next. Um, what might mythic thinking mean and why would that be the reason he ends up falling down into the quarry? Well, I, I don't know if I worded it that way, but I know that when I saw your question, I thought it was um, because, as, because again, you know, you sent me the questions in advance. I thought it was the most interesting question um, of the lot. They're all good, but that one made me go, Ooh, that's something to think about. So if <laughs> I did say, say that I did completely forget yeah. that I said it. Um, hey, that's fair. But what I thought was this idea that where myth may give us access. And of course we have to go back to those long discussions we had on myth, which we don't have time for today. But if myth does give us access to a kind of knowing about a transcendent reality, there is still um, the distinction that exists uh, among truth and myth and fact that Lewis talks about in Paralandra. A distinction which may not exist outside our world does exist in our world. Myth and fact are not the same thing here in the fallen world. Um, with one exception, and that was the incarnation. Um, in the times that Jesus walked the earth, myth was fact. But what we might say here is Robin had come to a mythic understanding of the nature of light. Unfortunately, it didn't correspond with fact. So when he thought he could dive into liquid light, he was wrong, and he ended up falling through the fog and dying. So he was, he he was of the, um, unfortunately of the of the uh, opinion that myth and fact were the same thing, uh, that were they were married to each other, and in the fallen world that we live in, that's not necessarily the case. Um, but perhaps there is hope that when he fell, he woke up in a place where myth and fact are one and the same. Interesting. So I want to just reflect before we leave the idea of epistemology on why why the idea of epistemology and, a specific, and specifically of what Lewis helps us learn about these different ways of knowing might be important for us to think about for the sake of our Christian faith or maybe just how it helps us, how it strengthens our faith or what, uh, pardon the pun, what light it sheds on how we know Christian truth or how we know Jesus maybe. Well, you can start with um, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, the Spirit is the truth. Uh, Christ is the cosmic locos. He is word. He is knowledge. Um, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Uh, God, God is revelation um, more than concealment. Um, the more we know 
God, uh, the closer we become to him. God is capital T thought. God is capital T truth. God is capital K knowledge. Um, and the more of this we can have, um, the closer we can we can draw to him. He gave us um, scripture um, and the and all the great interpreters of uh, church history uh, to help us understand uh, him. So he constantly revealed knowledge in the past, and um, we hope that perhaps even supernaturally through the Holy Spirit, he still does that today. So does thinking about epistemology help us out? Most of us probably not. Um, you know, the average the average Christian isn't always isn't necessarily going to think about the kinds of things that we're talking about here. And um, I learned a long time ago that that's okay because God has different members of his of the body of the church. Uh, some folks are happy to have not a simplistic faith but a simple faith. Some poet folks want deeper things to think about. Now teachers, educators, even preachers can benefit uh, in terms of thinking about epistemology. For example, in terms of understanding that imagination really does have a benefit. And if we teach to the imagination more, we can maybe reach people better. Uh, so there are some practical applications in that way. Um, but to sit down and have a conversation about epistemology, that's, that's, that's not a... Uh, that's that's not a sitting with your friends at dinner kind of conversation <laughs> in, normal, uh, in a normal basis. But um, for Lewis, it was um, strong beef and beer, and uh, and um, and uh, for some of us who are Lewis uh, fanatics, it's um, it's just something uh, so incredibly interesting that we can't quite let go of. Well, and I do the the different categories of experience and meaning and imagination, uh, you know, truth and fact and reason in these different ways that they interact with one another, but they are distinct from one another, how they have their, their opposites. If I boil it down into a context, um, like at the Bible college where I teach and, and where so many of our students are discovering the deep things of God for the first time. And, um, I, I see a couple of places, you know, I think you're probably right, Charlie. It's not something that people sit down to think or to talk about or think about for that matter on a regular basis. Um, however, I, it does feel like the water that we swim in uh, just a little bit. It's, it's, you know, a worldview question. And, and I, I just referred back, I was peeking over my shoulder onto my bookshelf, um, read a couple of years ago, J.I. Packer's Knowing God and his distinction between knowing about God and knowing him. And something that comes up often in, in the context, again, of our, of our college here, is that we emphasize the direct experience of God. Um, and at the same time, he is, you know, you, you quoted just a number of different passages of scripture. He is the light by which we see the world if we are rightly formed in the sun. So, you know, we, we study the Bible and the Bible becomes the framework through which we interpret the, the news that we read. And it becomes, um, you know, the Lewis also talks about having, if you're going to make a statement of something being good or bad, you need a third thing to refer it to, not yourself and not the thing itself that you're judging, but a third standard of goodness or a standard of badness. And, and for us, that, that becomes, you, you talked about that capital T truth, that capital T thought, God himself. 
um, God's self is the light that we want to drink. And when I, as I read, you know, the longing of this blind man who says, I, I want to drink light. I want to experience light. Show me light. I think it, it smacks to me of, uh, somebody who is, again, if we want to talk about our faith in a God infused world, in a light infused world, he's been given the ability to see it all of a sudden, but his inability to recognize that he's already seeing everything in his life by it actually drives him to despair, to, to, to behavior that is, that takes his life in the end. So, so I just think about, you know, the, uh, the moment at the table of communion where we say, oh, I want, I want this to be more than just, um, I want this to be a sign that participates in the thing that it signifies. If we can use some theological language, I want this to be, um, an actual moment where my being touches the being of God. And, and in, in that moment, imagination is active. And in that moment, um, a certain amount of reason can be active, but guess what? Neither imagination nor reason can actually fully describe what we're experiencing there. I, I was listening to an Orthodox, um, a speaker, a teacher of the faith recently, and he was talking about the word mystery. And he says, it's not a mystery. You know, when we talk about the mysteries, they don't, they don't talk about um, sacraments the way that the Western church would or ordinances. He says, when we talk about the mysteries of God, like communion or baptism or anointing with oil or, or in, in the Eastern church, they would expand that to even say like crying while you pray the gift of tears and, and things of that nature. He says, it's not that we don't understand them. Um, or that we can't say true things about them and they're just puzzle us. He said, more so it's that they are things to be experienced. They can be fully experienced, but they cannot be fully explained. And I, and that just what you have been talking about, about um, these various forms of epistemology in this short story echoes um, what that teacher of the faith was saying about how we say, we can experience this light of God and we want to experience this light of God. We see by this light of God, but it remains elusive to us if we go to quantify and capture it. Yeah. And, and everything you just said resonates so much with what um, Lewis says, including about the sacraments. Um, and especially when we're talking about sign and signified, that just took me straight to um, what Lewis says about light in his transposition sermon um, right. where he talks about um, in, in, in a picture where just the white paper represents light. Um, it is, it is partially a symbol of, but also a partial um, uh, representation that is light is occurring in the thing for it to be working at all. Um, and, um, and he said, and I wouldn't call that symbolic. I'd call it sacramental. Um, he raises that, raises it up to that, to that level. Another thing, that you then said, Sean, that, um, well, I don't remember what you said, but it, I know that what it triggered was a connection to the abolition of man and the concept of the Tao. It's when you were talking about the third thing. Um, and Lewis seems, without quite saying it, Lewis seems to be saying that one of the values of um, story is, which, which we encounter through the imagination, is to teach just sentiments, as he called them, um, uh, uh, ordinance um, beliefs, um, right, right morals, which can't quite be taught um, to the to the head, um, and can't quite get to the belly, but have to be put into the chest, which I think is probably the will, 
um, by teaching kids what they ought and ought not like. Well, that's a very hard thing to do because if you tell them that they ought to like certain things, that kills the desire for those things. If, however, you can show them the beauty of certain things, then um, that helps establish those those um, just sentiments, those right sentiments. Um, and they learn to love goodness, um, not just to know what's right, but to want to do what's right, be, to be attracted by um, um, what's right. And um, that's something that is difficult to pull off by simply making statements like saying, okay, well, here are the Ten Commandments. Um, let's memorize them. Um, so with young children, then, for example, we we don't take them through theological outlines in the letters of Paul. We tell them stories um, of Old Testament and New Testament heroes. Um, and that helps them develop that um, those just sentiments. And that seems to be an imaginative activity. Um, and so going back to the original question, how does talking about all this heady stuff like epistemology, how does it help? Well, it might help um, professional teachers, it might help um, ministers, and it might help teachers in, in churches, Sunday schools. If they understand that imagination is transformative, that story has power yeah. that is transformative, not because we we reach in and we yank truth statements out of the stories or morals out of the stories, but by by simply putting children through experiences and adults too of story, um, they they find morality, they find right action, they find ethical action, not merely to be right, but to be beautiful, to be honorable, to be attractive, and they're far more motivated to want to pursue that. Yeah, you you talk about um, children and and you know teaching them right and wrong and whatnot, which is just I'm in the thick of that battle because you 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 mentioned teachers in a church context as well as professional teachers and then parents. I would say any of you who are, are parents or youth workers out there, um, the the whole idea of just sentiments. And I, I hope we're, we're maybe wandering too far away from the the short story, so I won't go on this too long. But but I I um, have recently been been just kind of cultivating a, a routine of reading scripture with my kids before bed every night. And it's hilarious. I, like we, So I started with the gospels. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know the stories of Jesus and et cetera. So we went through that and, and I got through three out of the four gospels and thought, okay, I, you know, we've spent good time on this. So I said, you guys want to read a book that's not, not a story. And, you know, we'll read you know Jude or something like that. I said, and they said, yeah, let's do that. Let's try that out. I didn't get seven verses in before they're like, can we go back to the story? Like, this is just, and so, <laughs> yeah, that, that was very true. And then um, weeks later, you know, we, we went through, we finished Acts after we read Luke and, and uh, weeks later we were walking by um, an open, uh, an open door where they were, they were teaching. We were here on campus and, and my, my oldest ran up to me all excited and, and was saying, because they were going through Acts chapter two and the story, he remembered the whole story. He, he just heard them quoting a part of Acts two about the, you know, the sound like a, a, a rushing wind and the tongues of fire. And then as we walked away from that room, the amount of the story that, that had been retained in his imagination astounded me. And I guarantee that if I would have taken him through, you know, here's 10 propositional truths about, you know, the, 
the first baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, he would, you know, there's nothing there, but the story captures people. And again, as we circle back to our topic of, of epistemology, um, it, it is incredible that this, you know, four to six page story, depending on, I guess, the edition that you have that Lewis wrote can actually trigger this much, not just speculation, but understanding in the way that we know in ourselves. Lots, lots to think about. Yeah, um, the importance of of heroes. That that's what's going to make a difference in terms of moral motivation is is um, finding heroes for those that we're trying to teach, letting them see goodness uh, worked out through um, you know stories about real people. Like you know, you think of Fox's Book of Martyrs or. DC talks Jesus freaks, right? Or um, or imaginative tales of uh, of courage in the face of dragons and so forth. That's it for this part of the episode where we talk about epistemology in light, aka the man born blind. We have one more part to this conversation, which will be coming out as the first episode of Advent on December 6th. And if I'm honest with you, this was my favorite part of the conversation with Charlie, where we talk about the idea of Zainzut in this short story, Light. But that will be coming out in two weeks. Next week is the bonus episode we have for C.S. Lewis Reading Day. Remember, what essay will you read that day? Remember to tag us in your posts. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to all our patrons, especially our top-tier patron, David. 